could use a little bit of improvement. Maybe you've heard that before. And I, I just think that maybe one of the reasons that it's so popular is because it's um, both generous and rigorous at the same time. Um, I mean, it's extremely generous, I think, this, um, that this, this uh, you know, you're perfect just the way you are speaks to that fear that I think a lot of us have, that insecurity, that somehow there's something wrong with us. Um, you know, we're fundamentally flawed. We should be different. We should know, we should know better by now. You know, especially if we practice Zen. Oh my God, you know, how come we haven't figured it out yet? You know, how come we still have suffering in our lives? Uh, so that um, kind of grandmother mind, I think, of Suzuki Roshi, where he says, you're fine. It's, it's fine. It's okay, really. You're okay. We're okay. And... And there's always a way that we can grow. There's always a way that we can do better. There's always a way that we can learn from our experience. So you might ask, well, how can it be possible that these two different things can be true? How can I be, how can I be perfect and yet also need to improve? Um, and that, that kind of, um, how can both be true? is certainly a question that the Western mind um, really, really has a hard time with because um, we're really taught a lot in, in, in our Western culture and politics and religions, um, either or, you know, this or that, good or bad, God or Satan, um, and all the different ways that we can um, talk about the, the dualities that we're presented with. So here is this profoundly simple and yet deep, statement that Suzuki Roshi is saying in his own way of, um, no, actually, you know, you are, we are perfect. And at the same time, we could use some improvement. Now, this, in my view, is an expression of the absolute and the relative. The, um, the absolute is the fact that we are perfect exactly the way they, that we are. We cannot be anyone else other than the one that we are. That's the absolute. And the relative is, well, of course we could use some improvement. And this, this um, offering of the truth, the two truths, the absolute and the relative, coexisting at the same time, you know, this is one of the great truths that is taught in the Buddha, in the Buddha Dharma. In, in Suzuki Roshi's case, he's saying, you're perfect just the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. But this same teaching comes up in the Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Wait a minute. How can form and emptiness be the same? They're different. Well, yeah, they're different and they're the same. This teaching of the absolute and the relative comes up in the, uh, in the um, merging of difference and unity. It comes up in mountains and waters, and it comes up in the fascicle that I would like to talk about this evening, which is Dogen's Genjo Koan. Uh, Genjo Koan, um, Bokusan Nishiari, a 20th century uh, Zen teacher, said that in this fascicle, he really believes that um, great ancestor Dogen um, expressed his entire teaching in the Genjo Koan. 
the entire Shobo Genzo is all expressed in the Genjo Koan. Uh, Nishiari says, Dogen opened up his body and mind and presented the foundation of the Buddha lifetime Dharma. So not only would I like to talk about the Genjo Koan tonight, but I, I might talk about it all year. <laughs> Patrick usually invites me about once a month to give a talk, and I just thought, you know, it's been a while since I have a dove into the beauty of this, this teaching. And maybe some of you know it intimately. Maybe some of you, like I, have been studying it for decades. Maybe some of you have never even heard of it. And maybe some of you are somewhere in between. So whether it's the first time you've ever heard of it or whether you know it really well, it's one of those teachings that I feel like we can return to over and over and over again. And so that is uh, what I would like to do. And I'm going to really take my time. I'm not going to rush through the whole Genjo Koan tonight, my friends. I'm going to probably talk about three or four lines, uh, maybe a few more. But we're going to take our time with this. Uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's one of those kinds of things that it's a teaching that seeps, it seeps into your life. In fact, the first line in Zen uh, that seeped into my life and that caught my attention was from the Genjo Koan. Not the part I'm going to teach about tonight, but later on in the fascicle, Dogen says, here is the place. Here the way unfolds. When you find your practice where you are, practice unfolds, actualizing the fundamental point. I remember the first time I heard that, you know, I'd been coming to the Zen Center for a while and sitting some Zazen, and I heard that, and it just went, here is the place. You want to know where the place is to do whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be doing? Here. Find your practice where you are, Dogen says. So I just wanted to share with you, um, before I dive into the, the initial part of the Genjo Koan, a couple of the books that I um, am drawing from, uh, which I think are both superb books. They're in our library at the Zen Center. Not that we can use it. I mean, some people can, but not everybody. But they're also readily available. Um, so one of them is a book by the great Shohaku Okamura, and it is called Realizing... Genjo Koan, and I will, uh, I love Shohaku's uh, commentaries. He always is both very deep and very traditional and very, very accessible. And then another book here is called Dogen's Genjo Koan, and it is a uh, series of commentaries by a variety of teachers. And so I'll mainly be sharing, as I did, Bokusan Nishiari and also uh, Kosho Uchiyama. Uchiyama Roshi, uh, another great 20th, uh, late 20th century Zen teacher. So um, here we go. <laughs> and I want to start with the, with the title, because the title in, is, in itself is the expression of the entire fascicle, which Nishiyari says is Dogen's teaching in its entirety. And I'm not going to get super down into the into the weeds about it, but basically, um, Genjo Koan means. Uh, well, let me. Uh, okay, I know some of you like to hear a little bit about the etymology, so I'll just indulge you if you're one of those. So Gen means uh, to appear, and 
Joe means to become. So Genjo is um, actualizing, manifesting, appearing, becoming as a verb, but it's also can be a noun for reality as it is actually happening in the present moment. Don't you love Japanese? Genjo. That's what Genjo means. Both actualizing and manifesting and appearing, and it also means reality as it is exactly happening right now in this present moment. Genjo. And then koan. Um, we often think of koans as teaching stories, but also uh, the etymology of koan. Ko is the equality of all things, and on is the uniqueness and the particularity of each thing. So another way you can talk about koan is it means truth. It's the, the truth that we are both, everything is equal and we are unique and particular. So it's, it's a little bit daunting to think of, well, how would you translate that then? What does genjo koan mean? And of course, uh, there's lots of different translations of this because one of the beautiful things when we go to the original um, teachings is we realize that um, it really, um, a lot of our understanding depends on how things are translated. So here's a variety of the ways that the title genjo koan is translated actualizing the fundamental point, the question of everyday life, the matter at hand, the realized way of the universe, manifesting absolute reality, manifesting suchness, living with what is, and according with the truth. Pick, pick one. Pick a title, any title. I like Shohaku's. He says, Genjo Koan is manifesting who we are in our everyday life. Manifesting who we are in our everyday life is his offering for Genjo Koan. And he, in this, in this fascicle, um, what Dogen does is he just presents Example after example after example of how to see reality from both sides. And it's not logical. It's not logical to consider that we can hold two different truths, that we can be both perfect and, and imperfect. It's not logical. This is not a teaching that speaks to the linear mind. This is a speaking that a teaching that actually is intended to penetrate our heart and our hara, our body, our body, our understanding of and our experience of reality in this exact moment, exactly as things are unfolding now and now and now and now in our universality and in our particularity. So, um, yeah, and in fact, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that Nishiari said, what I just said. <laughs> Maybe I said it because I read that he said it. He says, you cannot get the Genjo Koan solely by thinking. You should get it right in your hara. On the other hand, you can't grasp it without knowing the basic principle. 
So this is that interesting dilemma that we're in where on the one hand, it's just about being exactly the ones we are in this very moment, just as it's unfolding. And at the same time, there's a lot that we have to think about. There's a lot of nuance to that. And there's a lot of considerations about how do our particularities play, come into play with this act of manifesting who we are every moment in our everyday life. Nishiari says you can think of Ganjo Koan as everything contains everything. And ultimately, this teaching is something that is only known through our experience and through actualization. I'm going to read uh, some of Kosho Uchiyama's words about this introduction. He says, um, by tasting the meaning of each word, I have made a liberal translation. This is yet another translation. He says, the ordinary profundity of the present moment becoming the present moment. And then he says, the present moment can't be anything else. But because our mind wanders into the past and the future, we lose sight of that. Isn't that how it is? I mean, it's so simple. Be Just be present with your life, with our life, just as it's happening. Well, well I can't do that. Why not? Ah, because this happened to me or because this is going to happen to me. You know, that's what we do. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that we have these teachings that are like a mindfulness bell that bring us back over and over. Uchiyama, the present moment can't be anything else. But because our mind wanders into the past and future, we lose sight of that. It's like air. We can't live without it, but we don't value it. That's the present moment. We don't value it. We think it's supposed to be more shiny, right? Our lives are supposed to be better. They're supposed to be different. But here we are, you know, breathing the air, the gift of our lives every single moment. It's like air. We can't live without it, but we don't value it. Some people put more value on money or diamonds. But if we do not completely value the present moment as the present moment and instead use it to fulfill our illusory thoughts, we will certainly suffocate. And then he says, it is completely off the mark to think that this infinite profundity is some kind of rare or special state of mind, which is beyond our reach. Rather, it is a question of how we do things in this present moment, using our hands and feet in our ordinary, everyday lives. So how does Dogen express this, our ancestor from the 13th century, that great scholar and that dedicated practitioner who spent his whole life um, sitting and teaching and writing so that we now in 2021 can continue to enjoy, enjoy his teaching and his words. Thank you, Dogen. 
so much for your effort. And, you know, by the way, they didn't even understand Dogen for a few hundred years after he taught. He was considered just too obscure and too weird. And it's really more recently, like the last hundred years or so, that people have been coming back around and going, oh, yeah, this is, this is really good. So you never know. Um, so the first line in the Genjo Koan he says, and I really encourage you, don't get all caught up in trying to literally understand. Um, I'm going to talk about it, and then I'm going to interpret it. And again, this is something that you can come back to time and again. And I also recommend that you, you get a copy for yourself and start to read it. And if you're going to come to my talks through these months, um, you, could, you could have it with you so that you can refer to it. Um, I'm, it's readily available online. Um, just, I don't know if we have it or not at Santa Cruz, but I know at SFZC, you just can get all the chants there. So the first line, he says, when all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. When all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. So these things all are things that we experience. We, we experience life and death. We experience that there are Buddhas and living beings. We experience that there's delusion and realization. And, you know, in, in our Zen practice, delusion is a technical term. That means the propensity that we have in our minds to make stuff up and believe it and believe that it's true and to project and our, our interpretation on the world and to impute meaning into everything based on our view rather than just being present with what is. So that we call that delusion. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a sweet part of being human, and it's what allows us to practice. It'll, it allows us to practice because we get to practice with noticing our delusions over and over again. So the expression of truth, when all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, when things as they are, are just displaying themselves the way that they do, we notice that these things exist. Delusion and realization, life and death. Buddhas, and sentient beings. That's the first line. However, <laughs> lest we get attached to the teachings, what do you think the second line is? Well, it's got to be the negation of the first line. So the second line says, when the 10,000 dharmas are without fixed self, there is no delusion and realization, no practice, no birth and death, and no Buddhas and living beings. So here it is. Both are true. On the one hand, there is delusion and realization. There is life and death. But on the other hand, in the realm of no fixed self, there is no delusion and there is no realization. It's the fixed self that creates the duality. The duality is true, but at the same time, when there is no 
fixed self in the 10,000 dharmas, then these constructs, these labels, these concepts are meaningless. And both are true. You know, the Heart Sutra does this with the teachings. Um, we've talked about this before. You know, the, the Heart Sutra basically um, goes throughout the entire Buddhist canon and says, no, 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 no. <laughs> After we've just spent decades studying and practicing the Four Noble Truths and the Twelvefold Chain, the Heart Sutra says, no, no Noble Truths, no Twelvefold Chain. And again, it doesn't mean that we're saying that we don't respect and honor the teachings, but what it means is that we don't grasp even onto the teachings. We don't try to make them a thing either. And this is particularly then expressed, sort of the, the this and the this, and then the third line is about leaping clear of dualism. So the third line says... Um, since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is arising and perishing delusion and realization, life and birth, death and Buddhas and sentient beings. So it's kind of this beautiful uh, tripod of the existence of it, the fact that it doesn't exist when there's no fixed self, and then basically what we're being invited to do is to leap beyond dichotomy and just open ourselves to the direct experience of both of these understandings that we have and these experience that we have about our life. Leaping clear of the dichotomy. I love that line. Leaping clear of the dichotomy. Leaping beyond the trap of the false dichotomy. That's what it is. How do we think about this suggestion that there is a ground that is beyond the trap of the false dichotomy, even as we use our dichotomizing minds to even be thinking about what all these words mean for us? And again, Uchiyama Roshi uh, uh, just helps so much make things clear. He talks about, as an example, he says, you know, it's like when we're sleeping. We, we are breathing, but we don't think about breathing. We just breathe. And he suggests that this realm beyond dichotomy is something that exists, but we're just not very tuned into it and we're not very aware just the way that we um, aren't necessarily aware and thinking about the natural function of our, of our breathing. A few of his words, he says, um, whether our brain is working or not, whether we give up, it, like when we're sleeping, whether, whether we give up the view of self and others or not, whether we believe it or not, that there is this realm beyond dualism, we are fundamentally living the reality of life 
that is beyond the dualism, that is beyond the separation, that is beyond self and other, subject and object. Even if we don't know how to understand it, even if we're not so sure that it's possible, it's already possible and true because that is the actual reality of our life is that there is no separation. And feeling our way into living this with our heart and our hara is Genjo Koan, is the, is the great adventure of trying to learn and, 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 and live, live a life in, in, in which our true nature is manifesting moment after moment after moment. Now there's one more line and then I'll um, wind it up for tonight. One more beautiful line and I want to read it with the others so that you can hear it and then we'll talk briefly about that and then we can uh, maybe have some discussion. So when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and sentient beings. Line one. When the 10,000 dharmas are without fixed self, there is no delusion and realization, life and death and Buddhas and sentient beings. Since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is arising and perishing delusion and realization, Buddhas and sentient beings. Yet, here's the last line I'll do for tonight. Yet, in attachment, blossoms fall, and in aversion, weed, weeds spread. Yet, in attachment, blossoms fall, and in aversion, weeds spread. You know, flowers just do their thing. They grow, they bloom, they open up so beautifully in the sun, and then they begin to fade, and they start to go brown, and they create their seeds, and then they die. They come and they go, they come and they go, and we humans with our grasping minds tend to want to attach to the blossoms. Oh, you're so beautiful. Please, please stay a blossom forever. We attach. However, in attachment, blossoms fall, and in aversion, weeds spread. I don't like weeds, and yet, of course, you know, weeds are just pioneer plants who are just growing, you know, like a dandelion. I mean, a dandelion is a magnificent thing. You know, we, we pull them out, but, you know, they grow everywhere. They're the ultimate survival, bold plant, and they're actually also very, very nutritious. So it's not a weed. We call it a weed. So um, Uchiara's commentary on that, he says, um, falling and blooming arise from love and hate. Originally, there is no falling and blooming. You say you dislike weeds, but farmers use them for fertilizer. For them, weeds are not weeds. See, this is already messing with our constructs. You think you know how things are? You think you've got it all figured out? Well, flip, the, flip your, your, your awareness and your perception and think about it differently. You say you dislike weeds, but farmers use them 
a fertilizer. For them, weeds are not weeds. People go and view cherry blossoms, but dogs lie underneath the trees and they don't even think about the flowers. They're busy looking for leftovers under the trees. <laughs> for grasshoppers, weeds are their world. When weeds spread, they feel comfortable having a new living room. When the frost kills the grass, the grasshoppers think their Buddha hall has been destroyed. Everything is like this. What is called blooming and what is called falling are based on ordinary views. The fact is, blooming and falling are all Genjo Koan. If we look free from the dualistic views, all things are Genjo Koan without any hindrance. So there's a very beginning taste of a great teaching that has um, both baffled and inspired practitioners for the centuries. I invite you to join me to open your heart to receive the teaching and practice with it, chew it, chew on it. And um, any of these lines that um, may inspire or uh, delight you or challenge you, I, I encourage you to just keep reading and practicing and meeting together to talk about this amazing daily practice that we have together. So uh, we'll chant the closing and then have a few announcements. And then if anybody would like to stick around and talk more about what I brought up tonight, you are very welcome to do that. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.